So the reading this morning comes from the first one from James, chapter 3, verses 2 to 10, and then moving on to um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So we'll start in James 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, come praise and cursing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for fear. Father, thank you for all the preparation fees put into this. And Lord, I pray that you would clothe fee with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that your word would go out and you would grow your fruit, your beautiful fruit in our lives Mm. for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. Bless you, honey. Well, we have arrived. We have the last fruit of the Spirit, and I think it's been an amazing series. And I know um, several of the life groups are studying it as well. And I think it's one of those series where it's so good to perhaps keep going back to and just bringing ourselves before the Lord with it, um, this um, on the fruit of the Spirit. So self-control. And at first glance, I think we can look at this and think, is this, it feels like it's tagged on, is this, you know, a key one? And I believe, as I, particularly as I've studied it, and I know, as I said, some of you have been studying it, actually it is key. And I think it's, 
it's one of the fruit which enables the other flute, um, fruits to flourish, as in gentleness and in goodness, kindness, patience. And um, I'm not sure what my credentials are for speaking on this subject because I have been described as disarmingly frank. And I think what they mean by that is I say what, you know, comes to mind. Um, I know I can speak my mind. I know I'm straight talking. So if any of you are here and I, you've been on the receiving end of that, I do apologize. I'm not going to say come up and talk to me afterwards. Maybe give me a few days. But, um, um, but I, I believe that the Lord is doing something within me and um, transforming me. So what is self-control? Um, I asked a close friend of ours who's a biblical scholar, and the Greek word used here for self-control is enkrateia, which means power or mastery over oneself, control and mastery over one's own passions and instincts. And I suppose, therefore, the opposite, a criteria, the opposite would be someone who, you know, a lack of control um, or out of control. And sometimes when I picture that, I picture a two-year-old maybe throwing themselves on the ground and screaming and kicking and having a bit of a temper tantrum. And I love it. There's a friend here at SML who, when one of her grandchildren used to do that, would just step over them and say, look, I'm just going to go and make a cup of tea in the kitchen. Let me know when you've finished. And um, often that would just stop anything going on. And it's fine, isn't it? I think a temper tantrum in a two-year-old is fine. When that's in an adult, it is highly dangerous, highly destructive, and I think it causes pain and suffering to those around and to, to themselves as well. A lack of control can lead to escalation. Now, I was in Pool Park um, about two weeks ago, and I was walking our dog, and there were two lads, maybe 14, 15, playing football, just kicking the ball about, and they've got their backpacks on the floor and, um, as goalposts. And then they sort of had finished that and got on one of, you know, they got on their bikes, and one of them intentionally rode over this little strap from the backpack. And um, then the other one just, like that, just then cycled over, obviously, his backpack right down the centre. And then the other one's going, what did you do that for? Why did you do that? All I did was that little... Yeah, but... And suddenly, it had escalated to this... They'd been enjoying football one minute, and literally, well, it was less than a minute, they were then at each other's throats. And I think we can see that in our world, can't we? It's, um, you know, one superpower does one thing, the other retorts, and we find this escalation. Before we know it, a war has broken out. And as I said, we've seen that. And um, a book Andy and I have enjoyed is something called Never by Ken Follett. We both enjoy his writing. Um, when I say a good book, it's quite hard be hitting because it's so, it's a novel. It is so true to life about what is going on at the moment and was written some time ago. Now, and we know that in the center of our politics, don't we? In our nation, things have unraveled. Um, in the last few years, and I think through a lack of self-control in both behavior and words. We don't seem to value self-control in our culture, and yet we so desperately need it. And if you have Bibles, in Galatians 5, we have that one um, verse about the fruit of the Spirit, but just before, the few verses before, Paul lists 
quite a long list of um, those sort of themes, areas that we need to exercise self-control. And he says this, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, envy, jealousy, fits of rage, envy, drunkenness. It's not an exhaustive list. In fact, the message translation, paraphrase of it says, and so on, and it goes on. And I think Paul is saying, I could write masses here, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop here. But we could add on to that, you know, um, anger, losing our anger, overeating, undereating, spending, workaholism, addiction to our phones, addiction generally. Um, it affects us all. And so where do we struggle with self-control? In the Church of England prayer of confession, it says in thought and word and deed. And I want to use those three points. And I think I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the thoughts, some of the words as we've had in that James passage. Um, but I want, it can be, there may be other um, things that you struggle with. And I think these same principles can apply. So in thought, now, I am so grateful that my thoughts aren't screened across my forehead as they come into my mind, um, because you will see me battle with jealousy. You know, you'll see me wanting to encourage somebody, but actually I'm jealous of their achievements and their success, and I hold back. Or you will see me grappling with a lack of self-worth, and again, that can cause me to be quite strong, or it can cause me to be defensive and trying to justify. You can see me battle with times of frustration on inconsequential things or anger. And I think sometimes it's the people close to us, isn't it? Whether it's our families or our friends, it can happen within our church family, it can happen within our workplaces. And your thoughts may be different to mine, um, but I think that I don't think I'm alone in the fact that I battle with my thoughts. And I think we can all, yeah, all battle and wrestle with our thoughts. Tim Keller, that amazing church leader and author, who, um, as I said, died recently, his, he would say this, self-control is first and foremost a heart issue. And so, and really like so much of the fruit. You know, what do I set my heart on? What do I feast my eyes on? Philippians 4, 8, 9 says this, whatever is true, i.e. we need to dwell on how God sees you, how God sees me, loved, accepted, unique. When I have those feelings of jealousy, I need to come back to that and dwell on what is true. He goes on, whatever is right, don't compare yourselves to others. When I'm feeling that lack of self-worth, let me come back and dwell on what he says. Whatever is pure, this helps us to avoid temptation. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's some other addiction. Whatever is lovely, noble, excellent, dwell on these things. And I think therefore, conversely, if we dwell on um, the opposite, it can inflame those same desires, passions, and instincts that I mentioned earlier, that is what self-control is over our own passions and instincts. If we dwell on the, the, net, the other opposite of that, those can be inflamed. 
And it's here in our thoughts, I think, that we can gain control over them or succumb to them, leading to actions. As Tim Keller goes on to say, this is where the biggest battle for self-control is in our thoughts. Secondly, in Word, Matthew 15 says, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And as it says in James 3, that passage, quite graphic on the tongue, you know, it's a small part of the body. And yet with our tongue, we both praise God and curse men. Curse those made in the image of God, as it says in the message. A friend of mine, who is also disarmingly frank, and actually not great because we're prayer partners, <laughs> so maybe we need someone with a bit more control. But anyway, she's disarmingly frank. She would say, she prays this whenever she's going to be seeing people or at the start of the day. It's verse 141, verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And some translations say, you know, set a sentry, put a guard over my lips, Lord. When our children were younger, we would often say, um, to think before speaking, we would say, is it kind? Is it loving? Is it necessary? They still churn that out. Equally then, they used to throw that at us quite often. And um, Ruth Haley Barton, I think we've got a picture of the book here, but in her inspiring book, Sacred Rhythms, this is a book that I've only just recently got and um, in the last month, and yet it has transformed. Um, it has transformed my spiritual life. And her, the strap line, arranging our lives for spiritual transformation. She says this, something as seemingly inconsequential as the choice to hold our tongue rather than say something critical or gossipy, or to hold our temper, or to put the phone away, the ability to do so comes from the spirit working in our lives. And I think when we've known that, when we've known a check, we need to be encouraged that that's the Lord working in us. Jesus himself modeled self-control for us in his daily rhythms, his prayer life, time with the Father in his thoughts, words, and deeds. I love this story. I love the insight, this story, this woman caught in adultery in John 8, 1 to 11. And I think it shows the extraordinary self-control of Jesus. Jesus is in the temple courts, and a, a, a people have gathered around him. And teachers of the law and the Pharisees um, brought a woman caught in adultery and made her stand before the group. And then it goes on to say this. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, I can, we can hear there that time has gone on and there's sort of agitation amongst them. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And I think, as we know the story, that they all drifted away, starting with the eldest one first. And I think that's a real example for us to follow, um, that at times when we're in the heat of it, to, in a sense, metaphorically stoop down and write in the sand. I think what Jesus was doing then, without putting too much on that, I think there was a sense of probably settling thoughts of praying to the Father wisdom to know how to respond. 
And we could say, yeah, but in the middle of it, it's very difficult to do that. But this took Jesus unawares. He was there in the temple courts just speaking to a crowd which had gathered. And then the teachers and the Pharisees brought this woman before him. So maybe we could settle our thoughts, settle our actions by stooping down. That's um, in word. And then, indeed, um, Andy and I, we uh, met and worshipped together at a church in Oxford, St. Aldate's, and there was an amazing nun there called Sister Margaret who would come and preach. And um, just a wonderful, fun, and life-loving woman. And um, she would say, I struggle with self-control. And um, she said, you would you know, some of you might find that hard to believe. We have such strict orders, but she loved to read. She loved a good novel. And yet their lights had to be out at 10. And she'd say, I would struggle sometimes to keep that. Sometimes she didn't. She said, I would then have to confess. But that was the self-control she needed to stop reading the book. It might be for some of us here work. It might be the phone that we feel addicted to. There'd be other deeds that you know yourself. So how do we grow in self-control? Um, in closing, I want us to look at three areas. And I think Paul gives us the answer to the first one, to walk in the Spirit. I love this, um, the passage we'll see coming up, but it says in verse 17, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. And then goes on, keep in step with the Spirit. God's desire is that we walk with him at his pace. Um, in the daily Lectio readings that I know some of you are doing as well, Pete Gregg is on pilgrimage now from Iona to Lindisfarne. And his daily prayer is this, I have set my heart on pilgrimage. So challenge me and change me, cleanse and rearrange me until your fire burns brightly in my heart. We are all on a pilgrimage. We're all on a pilgrimage till we are in glory. Be transformed by the Spirit. We can't hurry it. It is a slow, deep process which happens deep in our souls, producing that fruit that will last. Spirit-empowered effort. It isn't passive, as I think people have been saying, with all these fruit. We don't just say, Lord, give me you know, more patience. He puts us in situations where that's required, and it's the same with self-control. The movement from our desire to change and to grow in discipline is key. Now, I'm taking part in a long charity cycle ride on Friday. It's 100 miles from Ilfracombe down to Plymouth. Now, the desire to do that was so strong and keen a few months ago. But the training, actually, it hasn't been quite so great. And, um, it, you know, putting that in, it's been hard work. And, you know, just even two weeks ago, um, I was thinking, I don't want to do any of this. And anyway, I was out, and there was somebody running from SML. Actually, it was Claire Stonia. I don't know if she was here. But anyway, Claire was running. I'm like, it was hot. And I just said, hey, well done, Claire. That's amazing. And she said, she just kept on running. But she said, look, if I don't do it now, I won't ever do it. And that refrain kept running around in my head, and it just made me get on the bike and do it. I get on the bike and start training. And I just think sometimes, if I don't do it now, I won't ever do it. We can put things off. We need to acknowledge our need for transformation, but we can't transform ourselves, despite what those self-help books and podcasts say. You know, it's not in our own strength. 
It's not a question of I'm going to try harder and be better at this. A bit like that sort of, you know, January, New Year's resolutions. I, you know, I've got this. I'm going to do this. Um, the message, I like this paraphrase of it, says in just Galatians a little bit later on, says legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. You know, we can't do it in our own strength. And for some, addictions and habits run very deep. And, um, you know, it will be, the Holy Spirit will help transform them for them, and they will need professional help. And I think that's a really amazing combination. And we've loved running the addiction course here at SML. But ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit working with us who will transform us. And to play our part in this um, partnership, we need to develop and maintain rhythms of spiritual practices that keep us open and available to God. And this sacred rhythms, as I said, has been such a blessing to me. But we've had that picture, haven't we, of the glass, where we say, Lord, just fill me up. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. And we sort of carry on. He can't do that. He can't fill us up when we're rushing. And if we want to have a full, we want to be filled, we have to stop and allow him to do that. And I was, Andy and I went for an early morning swim this morning just to start the day off. And as I was, I was praying and swimming and I just felt the Lord say, but do you know what? It's not hard work. You're not turning on the tap. You just have to come to me as you are. Do you know what? With all your faults, with all your issues, you don't have to strive or struggle or strain or stress. We just come as we are. And it's incredible what the Lord can do. We just need to walk with him. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. If we only have the will to walk, then God is pleased with our stumbles. That's great, isn't it? If we only have the will to walk, God is pleased with our stumbles. You know, we will fail. I have failed so many times. But as we said in the beginning, it is a slow process. And the Lord will be transforming us. We just need to keep walking with him. So secondly and thirdly, these are much quicker. Be aware of the red flags, the triggers. I think the triggers for a lack of self-control can be incredibly practical. Busyness, rushing around, tiredness, stress, hunger, feeling stretched, being ill-prepared. What are your triggers? And if you're not sure, I would probably just ask someone who knows you well, because I think they will be able to tell you quite quickly what your triggers are. Um, this is my paraphrase of 1 Kings 19. It's when the Lord says to Elijah, the journey is too great. You won't last. Eat and rest. Eat, drink and rest. And I think the Lord might be saying to some of us here, eat, rest and drink. Develop those rhythms because they will sustain you. Because the journey is hard. It's flipping hard at times. And some of, some of us just need to be a bit more practical about that. Secondly, that was second. Thirdly, keep short accounts. Andy often at funeral service, services will say, keep short accounts. Anger can grip us. And it can be fueled by hurt beneath. And we can hold on to things. We can bear grudges. I know at times I can hold on to things far too long. And we can end up walking a journey way down, heavy, when we don't need to be. You know, those past failures, the disappointments we haven't dealt with. 
these things can rob us of self-control and cause us to live with that sort of almost tension, making it easier for us to erupt. And I think what the Lord says there is just come, come again, repent, let receive my forgiveness and allow him to bring his healing so that we might walk freely and lightly. I love that um, we sang that song, it's light of the world, step down into darkness. I, that's what the Lord does to us, he steps down into our darkness, steps out down into those areas where we know we've blown it to bring us his healing. So I think that's it. <laughs> I think we can be encouraged. We're all a work in progress. Um, the Lord loves and longs to grow his fruit within us. And I think particularly this fruit of self-control. So maybe we could pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, you're here. Lord, we thank you that you love each one of us so much. You see us. You know our thoughts even before they're on our lips. You know what we battle with. You know what we struggle with, what we wrestle with, and yet you love us wholeheartedly. And Lord, we are so thankful for that. And we're thankful that you long to bring transformation, that we might become more like you. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would touch each one of us. And maybe over the course of today, would you gently bring things to mind that you would love to just address with us? To just show us gently and speak into those things that we might receive your healing, that we can walk freely and lightly with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.